Good morning. My name is Dustin Drake, and I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. And I'm going to be reading this morning Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I invite you to turn there with me. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Ecclesiastes 9. For I have taken all this to my heart and explained it that the righteous man, wise man, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is all the same. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As a good man is, so is a sinner. As a swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There, there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts and throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. That verse rings true today, for sure. For whoever is joined with the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, and the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then. Eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with a woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil, which is you have labored under the sun." Whatever your hand finds to do, verily, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to man of ability, for time and chance overtakes them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like a fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Also, this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man. And he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise, heard in quietness, are better than the shoutings of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is is better than weapons of war. But the sinner destroys much good. Thank you, Dustin. I would like to begin with a quote this morning. Don't let what you cannot control ruin what you can enjoy. Don't let what you cannot control ruin what you can enjoy. 
three things. The Bible is truth, God is real, and Jesus is Savior. Just reminding you of doctrine. That's what that, those three statements are. If you have your text, go ahead and open back up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Today we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We'll go from really verses 1 through 16. And today, if you haven't been here, we are in our 11th week of a 14-week series, just slowly walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today, Solomon really sums it all up. He sums up the book of Ecclesiastes in one chapter. Solomon today unpacks life. The reality of life under the sun. And today, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. Will you embrace the reality of life? And cause that reality to really change your life down here under the sun. Or will you continue to kick the can down the road, ignoring the inevitable parts of life? Will you simply embrace life as it truly is? When you think about life, when you think about life under the sun, your life, I'm just going to ask you a question I would like you to respond so it's not super awkward in here. Um, when you think about your own life or life in general, what words come to mind? Blessed? Good. What other words come to mind about life? Exhausting. Amen. Amen. Yes. Good. What else? Focus. Good. What else? Adventurous, dynamic, what else? Unpredictable, good, what else? Yeah. <laughs> Short, chaos, troubled, hard, enigmatic, what is that word? It means it's a paradox, how it appears full for a moment and then could disappear the next. Busy, sometimes annoying. Life, the reality of life down here, that is the space that Solomon discusses today. Solomon in chapter 9 just sums up all of chapters 1 through 8 in a very condensed form. And in lieu of the reality of life, what should we do? In lieu of the shortness of life, how life is just full of injustice, full of chaos, full of evil... And unpredictability, what do we now do in lieu of it? Three things that Solomon gives us at the end of chapter 9. We will see three things, three pillars of life that we should embody, that we would have a good life under the sun. This is life. I've been waiting to do that for like a month now. That is Hevel. That is when it says in chapter 1 that vanity, vanity, all is vanity. What Solomon is saying is that not, life is not meaningless, but that life is a vapor. It is enigmatic. It is a paradox. That it appears to be full, but then it disappears in just a second. Just like a vapor in the wind. Hevel. The vanity of life. It is short. Can I just speak? Um, death awaits us all. We don't like to think about that, but it's just the truth. That because of sin, because of my mistakes, I stand before a holy and perfect God, uh, guilty of my sin. That is why Christ came and He died on the cross. 
But that is also why, because of my sin, that death is introduced into the world. And death happens to us all. And we all fear the grave. Let's just pull it down. Just let's talk about reality. We all, to a degree, fear the grave. But remember that God is our hope. He has redeemed the grave. Your value is not determined by what you accomplish under the sun. Your value is already determined by the being above the sun. And he says to you, he says if you believe in him, that you are his child, that you have an inheritance, that you are a friend of God, you're part of the body of Christ, you are declared justified, free from the chains of sin and death, that you stand before God declared innocent of your guilt, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you are a new creation, and that it is impossible to truly enjoy life without Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? That God has designed your life, that you can have joy on this side of heaven. But you have to make the choice to enjoy it. Not only do we have eternal life and the hope of tomorrow beyond the grave, but you have a choice that you must make every single day to enjoy life down here. Solomon today sums up the entire book of Ecclesiastes in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And he sums up verses chapters 1 through 8 in the reality of life down here. Man, um, I was just uh, preparing this sermon, and I was in Panera Bread this week with my uh, souffle. Okay, I'm fancy nowadays. And um, it was just that moment. It was just when a light bulb went off, that all of life all of a sudden just made sense i hope that that is your moment today that if you have been putting off what solomon has shared to this point in the book of ecclesiastes that today is solomon's campfire moment that he comes beside you and he gives you encouragement to live life down here with three things if you have your text look at it with me uh, today we enter the text, and let me set up the stage very quickly. Let us remember the five principles that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. They are up here. The implicit theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is a life well lived. And there are five principles to live a good life, to embrace the fact that life is short, that life is unfair, that are, there are just injustices in life that you cannot control, that something terrible will probably happen to you one day. And that's okay, because we have a good God. Number three, to enjoy God's blessings today. And then number four, to fear God. And then number five, to keep his commandments. And then the outline, where we are today. Chapters one through four is Kohelet's caution. The word Kohelet is the Hebrew word for preacher, the one who assembles. The word Ecclesiastes is the Greek transliteration of that Hebrew word Kohelet. Chapters one through four is Kohelet's caution he cautions us on the futility of life. He cautions us on the seasons of life, the injustices of life under the sun. Chapters 5 through 7 is his correction. Correcting our view on the fear of God, on money, that money does not buy happiness. 
That he who loves money will not be satisfied. He corrects our view on pain, temptation, and even ourselves. And then in chapters 8 through 12, Kohelet gives us counsel. Because of life as it truly is. As it really is. That you will die one day. Sorry for being morbid. It's just the truth. And you have no idea when your number will be called. So live life down here as Kohelet recommends. His counsel on wisdom in, in lieu of a fallen world. The reality of life down here is in chapter 9. This is when he sums it all up. If you have your text with me, look at chapter 9. It really breaks down into three parts. You have Kohelet's certainty in verse 1. You have Kohelet's conclusion, the preacher's conclusion in verses 2 through 6. And then you have his counsel in lieu of a fallen world. Notice verse 1. For I, the preacher, have taken all this, notice that phrase, all this to heart, and explain it that a righteous man, wise man, and their deeds are in the hands of God. Man does not know whether life will give you love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Notice that first phrase in verse 1. For, all, for I have taken all this to heart. That's why I believe in chapter 9 that Kohelet or Solomon is summarizing the book to this point. That he is stepping back from his desk. He is putting down his pen. He is escaping to 30,000 feet. And he is just looking down at life under the sun as it truly is. He has considered all this. And he has spoken to wise men for their deeds in the hand of God. And what is his certainty? For I have taken all this to heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. How many of you, we don't have to raise your hand to this, it's cool. Um, how many of you are just control freaks? Well, okay, <laughs> you're brave souls, okay, some nudging in the audience today. But your deeds are where? In the hands of God. But what else is the certainty of life? Man does not know. Whether life holds for you love or hatred, anything awaits you. Life is unpredictable. That is his certainty in life. Life is simply unpredictable and you have no idea what it will throw at you. How many of you have ever had something unexpected happen to you before? It's just the reality of life. That life is simply unpredictable. Man does not know. You can try to control everything in your life. But truly, there's only one thing that you can control in this world. You. And even your deeds are in the hands of God. You cannot control. You do not know what the world, what awaits you in this world. Whether it's going to be good or bad. So what do you do? Three things. Hold that thought. Man does not know whether it be love or hatred. Anything awaits you. It doesn't matter how much you plan. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter who or where you were born. It doesn't matter how wise you are. It doesn't matter your genetics. Life is unpredictable and you have no idea what life will throw at you. 
What happens in your life is not in your control, but God's. Let me say that again. What happens in your life is not in your control, but God's control. How does that make you feel? What happens in your life is not in your control, but in God's control. How does that make you feel? If it makes you nervous, then your idea of God is too small. But if it gives you comfort that all of your deeds are in the hands of God, if it provides you comfort, then you might begin to have the right perspective of God, that your life is in God's control. How does that make you feel? God is good. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is love. He extends to you His inseparable, infinite love. He promises you an eternal inheritance, for He is good and in control. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The deeds, your deeds, your life, God has ordained both good and bad to you. Your life is in His control, but take comfort, for He is good. A child who has a good father is in good shape. But a child who has a perfect father is in perfect shape. Your father is good and he loves you. His certainty in life, that life is unpredictable. But then notice his conclusion. Kohelet has three different conclusions. Verse 2. Notice verse 2. It is the same for all. For there is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked. What is the fate? Yeah. Sorry. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked. For the good. For the clean. For the unclean. For the man who offers a sacrifice. For the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. Why? It wasn't meant to be this way. That there is one fate for all. Good and evil. That we will die. That's what he says. And it wasn't meant to be this way. God created us to walk with him in the, in the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means in delight, in perfection. That is what we were designed to be originally. That death was not, is a consequence of our mistakes. That there is one fate for all of men. His conclusion, number one, is that death awaits us all. The good, the evil, the rich, the poor. The clean, the unclean, those who obey God's laws, those who sacrifice, those who disobey God's laws, those who swear and those who do not swear out of the fear of the Lord. To all men and women, you will die. But let that motivate you. Let's not fear that. Let's not just be afraid of death. What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why can we embrace death? Number one, we should embrace death because it changes our life today. But also that there is a hope of tomorrow because of what Christ has done on the cross. But death awaits all men. My, three years ago, or a couple years ago, my father uh, went to find himself a new doctor. And as you know, a good doctor is cringy blunt, okay? Um... And if he's not, then he's probably not telling you the truth. Um, 
But my dad, a couple of years ago, he told me this story. I went to lunch with him, and uh, he was trying to find himself a new doctor in the Nashville area. And so he went to this doctor. He had some blood work done, you know, and then the blood work came back. He went back to the doctor, and then, as my dad says the story, the doctor, you heard him talking outside the room. You know how he does that? And then he, and then he opens the door, and he walks in. And this new doctor, who had never met my father until that point, basically said to my dad, uh, Grant Bradshaw, how long do you want to live? And my father said, well, I don't know, about to about 85 or something like that. And the doctor said, well, you're not going to make it. And my dad said, well, I think I'm going to have to find a new doctor. <laughs> and he died a year later. <laughs> okay. It is just the death awaits us all. It awaits us all, to all men and all women. But take comfort, because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will live again. That one day he will restore life as it was, with a new heaven and new earth. He will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. But down here, in this life, in reality land, right, in in the flesh, We only live once. So you should adopt some particular behaviors. Conclusion number one is that death awaits us all. Conclusion number two, notice it in verse three and four. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are what? Full of evil and insanity. Truth. It is in their hearts throughout their lives. Conclusion number two is that mankind is full of evil and insanity. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook, okay? It's crazy out there. Man, we have it. Well, there's a page that I belong to that is not associated with Calvary Bible Church, and I literally tell my wife every day that there are some crazy people that we live with. Okay, not in my immediate house, okay? Um... Conclusion number two is that mankind is full of evil and insanity. How many of you remember the show Cops? Okay. Are you, am, I, am I too young to even know what I'm talking about there? Um, if you need proof of the insanity of life, just go look around you. But why are the sons of men full of evil and insanity? It's because of what? Because of sin. Sin has darkened the human condition. The reason people are stubborn. The reason your husband is cold. And the reason your children disobey you is because sin has darkened the world. Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, into the Garden of Eden, into the Garden of Delight. But God, Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is making some weird noises. Okay, I did not expect that. It's super distracting up here. Okay, death awaits us all. Mankind is full of evil and insanity. But notice what he says, verse 4. He gives us hope. He reminds us of hope in the midst of despair. For whoever is joined with all the living, 
There is hope. Circle that. Highlight that. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. What is this next piece? Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have any longer a reward for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Why do the dead have no hope? Because they died and their fate is decided. Why do the living have hope? Because they still have a choice. Why do the dead have no hope? Their fate is decided. The dead can't go back and change anything. If they did not believe in Jesus Christ before they died, it is too late. If they never reconciled with a child and they died, it is too late. If they wasted their life on the pleasures of the world and they died, it's too late. When you you die, there is no longer hope. But why do the living have hope? For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope because the living still have a chance. Can I just speak um, to those that aren't sure of where they stand with Jesus? Um, There is still hope for you. But you've got to make a choice before it's too late. Because the dead can't change anything and one day you will pass away my father passed away very suddenly at 64 years old no one expected it you don't know the number of your days you are not guaranteed tomorrow it's just the truth but you are alive hopefully you are alive you still have a choice and a chance But notice there, it says, surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. We don't really understand that in our culture. And to be honest with you, uh, the, in our culture, dogs kind of are elevated to above some human beings, okay? And they're elevated to be human beings, okay? Dogs in our culture are beloved, but in this culture, they were the lowest of lows. I believe it is Ahab. In 1 Kings, how was he predicted to die? That he would die and the dogs in the street would lick up his blood. That is about as terrible of death as it got in ancient Israel. But it is better to be living and a dog than a dead lion. The dead have already decided their fates and the, ho- and the living still have a choice to make. Um, I didn't understand the the discrepancy in dogs especially when i was uh when i would read the bible i didn't really understand dogs and why they were so low until i went to guatemala now how many of, um if you've ever been to guatemala at least this particular city in patsoon there were stray dogs everywhere they were a pest and and us americans it's kind of weird to see dogs literally roaming the street and these dogs would have rocks thrown at their heads so much that if they started chasing you, all you had to do was fake like you were picking up a rock and it would run the other way. True story. And we were sitting there in the streets of Patzoon and a dog got hit by a car. Um, sorry. And one of my team members there started to cry. And the Guatemalans looked at us like we were completely insane, okay? 
That is what it's talking about. Dogs in our culture are elevated, but here it is better, better to be living than dead because the living still have a chance. There is hope for the living. But then notice Kohelet's counsel. This is where I want to spend the majority of our time left together. Notice verse 7. In lieu of a fallen world, in lieu of the shortness of life, in lieu of not having control of things, in lieu of not knowing what awaits us, what do we do? Verse 7. You're going to know what I'm going to say. Go then eat your bread in delight. And drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be, be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Since death is a certainty, since you don't know when God is going to call you home, what should you do? You should enjoy God's... Can I say that again? We should enjoy God's... You don't know the number of your days, so you should enjoy what God has given you but then notice the list he gives you six things to enjoy and notice notice them they're all very simple things in life notice verse 7 go then eat your bread in happiness enjoy eating enjoy what you eat how many of you like to eat in the room? Please raise your hand. How many of you like an all-you-can-eat buffet? Any brothers and sisters in the room? Okay. I love to eat. And eating is a universal language, and we should simply enjoy. Number two, we should what? Enjoy. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Enjoy what you drink. Enjoy your coffee. Enjoy your Diet Coke. Enjoy your Diet Mountain Dew. Number three, let your clothes be white all the time. Enjoy your clothes. Put yourself together, right? Don't, as my wife would say, don't go out looking like a bum, okay, with a wrinkled shirt, okay? Number four, notice, and do not let oil be lacking from your head. Enjoy prepping yourself. Smell good. Comb your hair. Enjoy life. Put yourself together. Just enjoy treating yourself. Take a shower. Please take a shower. Put deodorant on. Please. Enjoy your life. Enjoy prepping yourselves. I draw the line with my children that if I smell them, they're getting a bath. Okay? Number five. Enjoy life. With the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. Enjoy your marriage. One preacher put it this way, let nothing separate you from your family. If something is separating you from your family, something is taking on an importance that should not be there. Do not do anything to harm your household. Men... Love your wives. You only get to live once. You don't want to look back in your latter years and wish you had done things differently. Enjoy your wives. Be tender to her. 
Do not be embittered towards her. Forgive her. And can I just speak to the ladies in the room? Um, respect your husband so he does enjoy your company. Just enjoy life. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. You know, I've noticed a trend in my life that I only really argue with Laurel when I am either stressed or tired. And when I argue with her, my whole world is messed up. Can anybody relate to that? When you're on the rocks with your spouse, man, things are just not right in your head. You can't enjoy food, you can't enjoy coffee, you can't enjoy kids in your household if you're walking on eggshells all the time. Men in the room, quit being stubborn. Forgive her. Let it go. Be tender to your wives. And women, be patient with your husbands, okay? (laughs) Because we are definitely broken. Number two, all of us, enjoy your family. Enjoy your kids. If you have young children, guess what? One day they're going to be gone. And they're going to move on. And they're going to travel to the other side of the nation. And if they're a boy, they're probably going to forget your, your name as your parent. I mean, they just don't talk to you anymore. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your kids. Kids are a pain in the neck. Man, anybody relate to that? Man, I, man, amen. Okay, I got a six, a four, and a one-year-old, and they drive me absolutely bonkers. But the scripture tells me to enjoy them. The scripture commands me to enjoy the wife of my youth all the days of my life. But notice here, is Solomon telling us to enjoy life by spending a ton of money? No. Is Solomon telling you to find enjoyment with more money? No, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied. Is Solomon telling you that if you buy a bigger house and a nicer car, that you will find joy? No, chapter 2, is Solomon telling you the evolutionary lie that the only meaning to life is to spread your seed? No, it says the flesh will not satisfy you in chapter 2. How do you find enjoyment in life? Two things. You find enjoyment in God and in God alone. Chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. That if you are not walking with God on a daily basis, you will never know the joy that God has designed for you. You've got to know and walk with the Lord. And number two, you have to enjoy the simple things. Notice the list. They don't, none of those six things cost really much of anything. You don't have to be wealthy to enjoy eating ramen noodles in college. You don't have to be rich to enjoy the small things. Enjoy your Diet Coke. Enjoy coffee. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your life. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it's from the hand of God for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him. The other day, can I enjoy, if you get nothing else out of today's sermon, Enjoy the simple things. And joy is a choice that you make. The other day, we, we got a big half gallon of Bluebell ice cream. Eat, enjoy what you eat. Amen. Um, and we got some ice cream cones. And my wife and my three little girls, we just sat on the back patio 
and we let those little girls run amok and make a big mess of everything. And I just sat there on the patio and I said, Byron, just enjoy the moment. Notice verse 9. Enjoy life with a woman whom you love all the days of your all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life. Do you notice that? For this is your reward in life to simply enjoy your family, so don't neglect them. And in your toil which he which you have labored under the sun, number six, enjoy your toil. Enjoy your job. You spend too many hours of your life doing something if you hate it enjoy your toil if you pick up garbage for a living enjoy it find a way that's what he's saying and if you don't enjoy life back in the day right when solomon's day you pretty much had one job you were a farmer but today you live in america there's a host of different careers you can have if you don't like your job choose a different one what are some of the different careers in this room? Engineering, of course. Okay. Human resources, pest control, sales, computer programming, hydraulic hose repair. Shout out, PJ. Paint store manager, putting up with me, my staff. Network engineering, being a pastor, teacher, financial analyst, counselor, chaplains. Some of you are retired, the best career of all, okay? Amen, okay. Whatever you do, enjoy it. No matter what you do, enjoy. How do we live best in the reality of life? Since death is inescapable for all, enjoy life. And then number two, eagerly work hard. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. What's that next phrase? Where you are going. Action number two is to eagerly work hard. Whatever your toil, do your best. Don't loaf. Work hard. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 10, 31? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That God has created us to work. That's why people, when they retire and they don't have a work to go to, they pass away very quickly. God has created us to work, but because of the fall, what changed? That work is now difficult. God created us to, in, to toil, so enjoy it. But then notice number three. So how do we live best in the reality of life? We enjoy life. We eagerly work hard. And number three, we embrace reality. Verse 11. I again saw under the sun that the race, notice that, that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to the men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. What is the reality of life? That number one, that life is a race. Notice what it says. I again saw under the sun. That word under the sun is a metaphor for the totality of life. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Life is a race, but not to those who are fast or have moments of glory, but to those who enjoy the whole. No matter what season of life that you are in, enjoy the whole. Enjoy being a kid. Enjoy being a young adult. Enjoy being newly married. Enjoy your latter years. 
enjoy it all. Life is a race. And number two, life is a battle. And the battle is not to the warriors. Life itself is a battle, but not to the warriors, but to the resilient. To those who get up in the morning and enjoy what God has given them. How many of you have ever felt that life is just a battle? Some days in life, it just seems like you roll out of bed and you get in your car and there's nothing but discouragement, frustration, exhaustion, stress. Anybody relate to that? No? That's the battle of life. And who does life belong to? It belongs to the resilient. It doesn't belong to those who are prepared for war. It doesn't belong to those who have the most talent. It doesn't belong to those who are born in the best circumstances. It is to the resilient. And then notice verse 12. Moreover, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. What is Kohelet's counsel on the reality of life? Life itself is a race. It is a battle and death is simply unknowable. To Christians in the room... How do we live in the reality of life? Life, we just embrace the truth that life is unpredictable. You have no idea what life will throw at you. So enjoy, eagerly work hard, and embrace the reality. Um, I said in the beginning of the sermon that I'm going to get you to make a choice. And this is the moment. This is the fifth time in nine chapters that Solomon tells you to Eat, drink, and be merry. The choice you must make today is will you? Will you simply just enjoy the simple things in life? Sometimes in life we put off joy and enjoyment in life to save a little bit of money, to go on a fancy vacation, hoping that in the future that we will have joy and a good time. But really, if you're not joyful in your home, If you don't enjoy the simple things, you're not going to enjoy the big things. The question is just really brutally simple. Will you enjoy life? Will you enjoy the simple things? I had coffee this last week with a a friend of mine named Carl. And and, uh, we sat at Starbucks on Airport Road outside and he he's known me a long time he knows me super well and um he just said byron you know you seem to be you know a bit happier lately and i thought like really uh (laughs) so um (laughs) and i just told him i said i think i'm really trying to just embrace the scripture that it's the simple things in life it's the coffee it's the diet coke it's your wife it's your kids it's eating it's drinking it's your toil Will you, number two, enjoy work? But then number three, this is really the decision you have to make. In order for you to enjoy life, you really have to embrace the reality of life. It's just the truth. Because if you think that you're going to live forever, then you're going to put off enjoyment for tomorrow. If you think you're going to live forever, then you're going to put off reconciling with your family today for tomorrow. But you are not guaranteed life tomorrow.
enjoy today. On the back of your note sheet, there are some questions to help you process a little bit more of this sermon. And so the so what, my question for believers is what choice will you make? Will you choose to enjoy and will you choose to embrace the truth of life? And then so what to non-believers in the room? If you are not 100% sure, if you're a Christian, if you do not know, uh, if you have a relationship with God and transform, um, take comfort that there is still hope. Because you still are alive and you still can make the choice to surrender your life to the Lord. The fact that you're here today, if you're unsure of where you stand with the Lord, the fact that you're here today means to me that God is probably pricking your hearts to call you to himself. If you have never believed, if you have never surrendered your life to him, then you go before him acknowledging your sin If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You recognize your need for him. Then you believe in him as Lord and Savior of your life. And then you change. If you've never... This is what I'm going to do this morning. um, I'm going to pause for about 20 seconds just to make it really awkward in here. Um, And this is what I'm going to get you to do. Number one, if you're a Christian, I just want you to ask yourself, will you choose to enjoy life? Number one. And if you're a non-believer, will you choose to believe and to follow the Lord? I'm going to let you have 20 seconds to pray to the Lord, and then I will pray to close this. Father, there's nothing really new in this passage. But it's just that moment where Solomon pulls up his chair beside us and he just talks to us about life. And it's just a test. It's a moment of clarity. It's an aha moment. It's a moment that can change our past forever. To those who are believers in Christ Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would just choose to embrace the reality and to enjoy life, the simple things in life. Lord, will we? And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior, for those that aren't sure where they stand with you, I pray that they would see their need for you, they would understand their sin, and that you came into the world to live a perfect life, to die as a sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. And Lord, I pray that they would place their faith in you and follow you the rest of their life. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the diversity of ages. What a treasure that this is. That you have people that fought in World War II in this room. And you have people that have, are young and are trying to figure out life. I pray that no matter what stage and what season we are in life, that we would just enjoy what you've given to us. May we find delight in your blessings. May we enjoy our families. Because, Lord, life is just too short not to. Thank you for your truth. May it it change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.